My name's Bobby Walker with Journey of a New Entrepreneur, and I've got one message for you. Don't be a bitch! What is going on, everybody? It's Bobby Walker here with the Journey of a New Entrepreneur podcast, coming at you with another amazing guest today, and I can't wait to introduce you to him. And he's a, he, he's kind of a cool guy, so you're gonna you're gonna want to stick around for this. But before we get into it, I just want to say I love the NBZ. Welcome to the NBZ. It's always fun to connect with you guys and interact with everyone. And on that note, I'm super excited. It's July right now. Next month, August 19th and 20th in Atlanta, Georgia, the huge convention for window cleaning and pressure washing companies. It's going to be awesome. It's, the, it's at the Marriott Marquis uh, Hotel there. They literally filmed the Loki television uh, show in there. They filmed the Hunger Games TV shows in there. This thing is amazing. It'll give you vertigo just stepping into the, the atrium there and looking up and seeing the super tall you know thing. It, it's just awesome great hotel bar and if you're in the mbz you know that's a that's a very very important thing for us so i'm looking forward to not just hanging out with you guys virtually but actually getting down there rubbing elbows uh having some drinks having some fun and probably even more importantly learning how to grow the business if you don't know what the huge convention is it's the biggest industry event for pressure washing and window cleaning and it's all focused on business development and business growth you're not going to go there and learn how to pressure wash a thing or window clean a thing, you're going to go there and learn how to be a better leader, how to be a better boss, how to be uh, a better marketer, a better salesperson, how to develop your teams, things like that. Plus, we're stacked with some awesome speakers that are going to bring motivation and practical application to you on both days from the main stage. So you guys want to check it out. You can go to thehugeconvention.com. Full disclosure, um, I am one of the owners of The Huge Convention, but I think you all know that at this point. But go check that out. And then, of course, the show sponsor, Responsibid. Responsibid is the ultimate selling tool in the home service industry. Um, what is Responsibid? I could sum it up like this. If you need a sales system in your, in your business, Responsibid is it. Responsibid is excellent for doing in-person quotes. It's excellent for doing online digital quotes. It really shines in the follow-up and making sure that people are are listened to and uh, maybe not listened to, but spoken to and followed up with and making sure that they're getting what they need from you, the business owner. And it does it while you're asleep. It does it while you're at the lake. It does it uh, all this stuff. The last huge convention I attended, as a matter of fact, in Branson, Missouri, I hopped in the lazy river at the wet and wild. By the time I hopped in the river, because I left my, my phone out outside, I got out looked at my phone. I think, I think it was like a $500 job that was sold. It didn't set the world on fire, but I was in the lazy river. Someone went to my website, bought the job, paid the deposit. It went on the schedule because I have responsibility. So journey of a new entrepreneur listeners, you get a special deal. You get a special monthly rate. You get an additional free month of service when you sign up using J N E bid.com. That's J N E like journey of a new entrepreneur B I D responsibid.com. Go check it out, jnebid.com. All right, we've paid the bills, folks. Now we're going to get into the good stuff here. I've got John Warlow with me. Pretty positive I got the last name right. Is that right, John? You got it. All right, so John is actually, we're, we're kind of strangers to each other, minus a couple minutes before we went live here. We have actually never spoke before, never interacted, uh, unless, unless 
it was at an airport and we just didn't know each other. We just bumped into each other. But, but John is a cool guy because he's actually influenced me and uh, I didn't even know who he was. But uh, a buddy of mine, Brennan Williams. Brennan, if you're listening, love you, bro. Brennan recommended a book to me, oh gosh, probably three or four years ago. I remember listening to the audio book when I was out in the field doing some cleaning back in the day. And uh, it was called Built to sell. And it's a book that's all about how you can set your business up to be more valuable when it sells and make it more appealing for someone to buy all the way down to like how you can do things like ensure that the buyers have confidence that your employees are going to want to stick around after you're gone because they've got a vested interest to see the company succeed. And it was really cool. It was really good. And as a guy from the corporate world that dealt with a lot of uh, acquisitions, I didn't do the acquisitions, but I had to deal with them after we acquired them. I sure wish those owners would have done that stuff. It would have made my life a lot better. But, but anyway, John's got a, got a few books out. He's also got one called The Automatic Customer. And he's got another one I'm not even going to mention yet because I don't think it's out just yet. But I think he's going to want to talk about that. And we'll talk about all those things in a little bit. But John, welcome to the Journey of a New Entrepreneur podcast. Welcome to the NBZ. How are you doing, my friend? Good, Bobby. How are you? If I was any better, I'd be twins. Thanks for asking. Well, listen, when you're making, when you're getting jobs in the lazy river, I, I can imagine why you're, uh, you're feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't get me started on responsibility. We'll go another five minutes on that stuff, but that's, yeah, it's, it's that's pretty cool. cool stuff. So, so John, man, I got an email one day and it said, Hey, would you like this guy to be on your show? And I was like, would I? would I, you know, <laughs> of course I would. And uh, so I've been super pumped. I've been bragging to a handful of my, my friends in my inner circle that I'm getting the automatic customer guy on my show. So uh, super, super excited to have you take a minute or two. Um, give us kind of that elevator pitch of the long walks on the beaches and, 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 you know, just, just tell us everything, all the little details about your life in the next minute or two here. Let us know who you are. <laughs> Well, you did a great job introducing me. I'm, I'm the author of Built to Sell, The Automatic Customer, and the new book, The Art of Selling Your Business. And um, I also run a, a company called Value Builder. It's a project management software for advisors. So that's me in a nutshell. It didn't even take long down the beach. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. So um, now, you, so you, you got the books, you've got, and I saw the Value Builder thing. I was looking at your yeah. website. Uh, a funny story. Whenever uh, I was working with your assistant on, on booking the, the appointment here, she had said, Hey, we can do this week, this week, that week. And I said, well, let's do this week, you know, this date. And I, uh, I threw it on my calendar immediately just so I wouldn't forget. Cause I knew me. And then when she responded, she goes, ah, we can't do that one, but we can do this other one. The one that we're doing right now. I'm like, excellent. Well, two weeks ago, I was all, all excited, all nervous, getting ready for an interview. All the couple of notes that I have here, I wrote down back then. And I got on zoom and I'm like, where's John, what's going on? Where's John? And then it dawned on me that I was, <laughs> I was gone, but, uh, but I saw the value builder thing, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so you actually, uh, coach and, and, and educate, uh, consultants, you know, people that that's coach right. And educate, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so value builder is a practice management software for coaches and consultants that they use to, uh, basically apply the principles from the book built to sell to their clients companies. Uh, so it's, it's a whole practice management software, meaning it's to track clients, to, to serve them and so forth. And I started it, you know, years ago, uh, really on the back of built to sell. I, you know, I, 
I'd written Built to Sell and tried to, to sell books. I'd created a website and to make it more of an interactive website, I put a little questionnaire on there. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of those questionnaires where you take to figure out, you're kind of doing an assessment, you know, like men's health to be like, you know, what kind of athlete are you in it? You know, you'd answer mm-hmm. 10 questions that would tell you what kind of athlete you are. In this case, it was, do you have a sellable company? And it was like 10 questions. And we got entrepreneurs to fill it out. And, and on the back of that, we, we offered them the book. What was interesting is a month or two after that went live, I started to get calls from advisors. So business coaches, consultants, and they're like, hey, we saw that tool on your website. Can we license that? Can we buy that? Can we use that? And I'm like, huh, that's kind of cool. And so that was the very early uh, impetus for Valuealer, just offering tools to advisors who want to share this sort of message about building to sell effectively to to their clients. And, uh, and that was the somewhat spontaneous um, birth of, of value building. So it sounds like you're pretty passionate about empowering and helping people to, to maximize their profits on their businesses. Yeah, it, it's actually not profits. It's more value. And I draw the distinction because I think there is one. I, I, uh, I got into this business all the way back, I guess, 2000, early 2000s when I had a market research company. We did quantitative market research. We had some of the biggest clients that were Bank of America and Visa and you know, all these massive companies were clients. And I built the company up to be pretty profitable. We had about five, between five and six million in revenue, and maybe we were 20 to 30% profit margins, oh, wow. EBITDA margins at the end. So like a good profitable company. And I was kind of walking around with my chest puffed out thinking I had this really valuable company, right? One mm-hmm. day I'm going to sell it. And I went to see a guy named Perry Miele, a guy's name is, is kind of emblazoned in my brain. He was in Toronto. He's a mergers and acquisitions guy. And I went to see Perry and I said, look, you know, I'm thinking I'm, you know, I'm going to sell it. We got 5 million in revenue and profitable and all these great clients. And I'm kind of rubbing my hands together saying, so Perry, what do you think it's worth? And yeah. he's like, eh, let me ask you a couple of questions. Who, who does the research? And I'm like, well, I'm involved in the research, right? These big clients, Visa, yeah. IBM, whatever. He's like, all right, well, who does the selling? And I'm like, I, it's these massive customers. Of course, I've got to do some of the selling, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and he's like, all right, so let me get this straight. You got a research company, you do the research, you do the selling. And I knew where this was going, right? The hairs <laughs> in the back of my neck are going up. And he's like, he's like, John, he peers over his like little tortoiseshell glasses at me and says, like, I can't sell your company. There's nothing to sell. Yeah. And and I, you know, for me, that was like that felt like a punch in the gut, right? Mm-hmm. Just an absolute gut punch because I walked into his office feeling like I had this, I was walking on, you know, the moon. I had this million dollar, you know, like I felt like it was really worth something. And he, you know, quickly undressed me in that meeting and said like, you got nothing. There's nothing. And, and you got a fancy job basically is what you got. Fancy job. And that was, that was tough to hear. I remember that feeling pretty bad. Did that, was that something that, uh, I think I can empathize here, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, I haven't sold a business yet, but um, was that something that was kind of long lasting on the emotional side? I'm, I'm assuming you didn't leave his office, go have an ice cream and you were hunky dory after that meeting. No. It, it, well, in, in some measure it lasts to this day because it really has inspired a lot of what, what we do at value builder. Why I write books is, is I wish someone had, had kind of sat me down 
as a young entrepreneur, as a new entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of my journey to say, Hey man, like revenue is great. Sales are great. Profits great. But there's actually some other things you need to think about if the goal is to build a business that one day is going to be worth something. Wow. And, and so what Perry, you know, Perry, you know, educated me over a few years. And he, you know, the first thing he said is, you know, you got to stop doing so much stuff because right now you're doing way too many things and it's hard to hire people to do the work and you got to put your business on a recurring revenue model, uh, i.e. the automatic customer where you've got customers coming in on annuity streams or service contracts. You got to get out of doing the selling. So you got to get higher salespeople. And so he kind of gave me the prescription or the recipe for how to structure it so that it would be valuable. Years later, that company did go on to sell. Uh, it actually uh, was acquired by a New York Stock Exchange listed publicly traded company, big, big Fortune 500 company. So it has mm-hmm. a very happy ending. Um, but in a lot of ways, that story is the inspiration for everything that yeah. I do personally and, and professionally. So just out of curiosity, how long was it after, because what, what you said it was about 05 when you were trying to sell it the first time? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the specific dates escape me a little bit right now, but it was probably four years between, between the, the time I was first told it was worthless to uh, when it was acquired by a public company. Yeah. Well, so, so not so bad. Not so bad. You took a long yeah, four year journey. And- <laughs> I mean, but, you know, like we we had to, you know, at that time we had a bunch of employees that I had hired that I would say weren't probably the right fit for the kind of business that we were trying to be. And so that mm. led to a lot of turnover, a lot of very difficult conversations with people, a lot of like hurt feelings, both mine and others yeah, saying that we need to change this business. And the business that you joined is not the business that's going to be. And that was very difficult. I'm sure it was. If you're like, uh, well, let's say the, the entrepreneurs that I tend to be around, um, you probably had some, some guilt in that even right I, I would imagine or or maybe i should say was there any guilt like hey i brought these guys on and now i'm changing the changing the rules on them or how did you deal with that internally yeah it was a a smorgasbord or a cocktail of different emotions you're right there was some guilt in there that i had uh you know said one thing and now was changing the rules on them right because mm-hmm. i was to give you a sense we were a professional services company in the beginning where as a services business every project was unique every client was was important uh every project required a different team etc so it was a very customized project and some people like that some people like the variety of that some people like the uh, you're putting the customer first and making it all about the client etc what i was moving to was almost the exo- opposite of that right whereas a standardized offering think of like the mcdonald's of market research where it was very 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 consistent mm-hmm. and the customer was important but the business was more important than any one customer so it just it was a total different headspace and so you had some people that we're kind of like, Hey, I signed up for this and now you're changing it to that. And so that made me feel a, a little guilty, be a little frustrated would be another emotion that I, I, I had seen the light and I was having trouble getting other people to see the light. If you know what I mean? Yep. And there was, there was also a, a sense of betrayal maybe is the right word where I knew we had to go over here and like to, to a new business model. And I almost felt betrayed by people who weren't willing to go there with me. And mm-hmm. again, this is 20 years ago. I've matured. Yeah. And, and, well, and I get it. Too. We're humans and we're emotional. I mean, this stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. But the, you know, I've since then reflected on, you know, the, some of the mistakes that I made. One of them was just incentivizing team members based on EBITDA, our profits, as an mm-hmm. example. Like if the goal is to maximize the value of a company and your chief operating officer, your general manager is motivated by profits, well, therein lies a inherent conflict, right? And that's the situation I had. I had a, a two IC, second in command and integrator, whatever you want to call them, who was motivated by profitability. And I'd made this sort of revelation that I wanted to build a more valuable company. Well, again, there's lots of stuff that you do to build a more valuable company that in the short term undermines your profitability. Like for mm-hmm. example, you, you might turn away work that is dependent on you personally to deliver. In the short term, it makes your company more profitable, but in the long term, it makes it more dependent on you and less sellable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a, a very valuable company usually has a distinguished or unique brand in the marketplace, something that does differently. Well, that takes time and money to build a brand, right? Mm-hmm. And those are all investments that you make that don't show up in the year that you make them, right? So they just look like expenses on your P&L. And if you're motivated by profits, as an example, your bonus is t- triggered by profits, you're not going to want to make those investments. And if you are motivated to grow the value of your company, like I was, yep. you do want to make those investments. And so fundamentally, a lot of the betrayal and the emotional struggles I have since realized were just my mistake in in the way I, I designed the compensation system for mm-hmm. my senior most managers. Yeah. And so it sounds like that both books, because I think was Built to Sell and Automatic Customer the first two books you wrote? That's right. Yeah. Built to Sell was the first and then Automatic Customer was after. And it sounds like they were both written during... All, all of this happening. I mean, maybe not physically written, but like they were being written in your mind. I, I, it sounds like while you were going through that. And then once you got it sold, you actually had the time to put the pen to paper and, and yeah, get the thoughts funny. down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I certainly, I certainly did not write them while I was going through this. It was years later that I sat down and write them. And, 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 and by the way, built to sell, nor the automatic, they're not, that's not me, it's not the built itself, for example, is a, is a parable. So it's a story. It's mm-hmm. not intended to be me. It is an amalgam of, or a mashup of lots of experiences I've had along with other people I've interviewed and so forth. So, so no, it, it's, it's not me, but, but certainly I, you know, the writing of those books, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't feel like, let me put it this way. Sometimes I think we suffer imposter syndrome, right. Where we're like, Oh man, do I, do I feel like I should be, uh, to commenting on this topic, or do I feel like an expert, et cetera? When it came to build to sell, I, I did not feel imposter syndrome. Like I mm. felt like I know this topic inside and out. I've lived some of these things. I've seen it. I felt it. Um, so I, you know, I felt like it was an authentic, an easy book to write. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So um, if you're cool with it, um, what I'd like to do is talk about the art of selling your business here a little bit at the end, just because I think there's probably going to be a lot of I'm excited to kind of hear about that because I, sure. I on purpose haven't even read about it other than the title because I'm like, all right, if it's coming out, we'll, you know, I'll get it when it comes out and we'll do that thing. But um, would it be crazy to kind of abruptly segue with, uh, you know, we've been, we've been talking about, you know, you're selling the business and everything. Um, I think a topic that is near and dear to, to my audience is trying to figure out and dial in like that, um, that recurring piece, especially sure. with like pressure washing companies, paver sealing companies and stuff like that. Would it be a crazy idea to kind of go there and maybe talk about, you know, maybe we, we could flesh out some things or something like yeah, that. On there? Sure. 
So, um, so I'm sure you're, you probably know, you know, what companies like this do, but just in case, just to, to fill in any potential Blakes, um, most of the people, we do have some lawn care people that watch this pest control, you know, they'll watch and listen to the, to the podcast, but the vast majority is going to be probably like pressure washing, exterior cleaning companies and paver sealing. So paver sealing through like your brick pavers on your driveways. And then we come through and, you know, you put a coating on top and it protects the, the pavers, makes them look prettier and stuff. And then on the exterior cleaning, it's literally everything from roof cleaning. And if you're anything like me, you've never even heard of roof cleaning until I got into this industry. I thought who in the world cleans the roof, but surprisingly they do, but like a, a job, like a roof cleaning, depending on where you're at in the country, doesn't need to be done, but every three to six years or so like that. Um, we do what they call a house wash, which would be, uh, you know, basically cleaning all the sides of the house, you know, the soffits and the fascia and the sides. Um, and then, of course, we'll do your typical pressure washing, like, uh, you know, driveways and sidewalks or, you know, or parking garages, you know, if, if the guy's doing the big commercial work and stuff like that. And what most people that I talk to struggle with is we're like, man, it's hard to build this, rec- build this recurring thing, because for the most part, um, and those services people don't even need them more than once a year, except for maybe like the driveway thing. Cause like I'm down here in Orlando, Florida, the, the land of humidity and we get a ton of, of organic growth and stuff. So we, we may do a house wash more than once a year, but that's still not even the norm, you know, down here. So, so just putting you on the spot, you know, if you hear a whole industry of people crying and saying, John, you just don't understand it's different in our industry. You just can't make it work. You know, and, and I see you smiling and I'm sure you've heard that before because I've heard yep. on a different topic. I hear the same thing. And my listeners have heard me cry about that before is like, you're, you're not special and you're not different, but, but we think we are. So what would maybe be like the first one or two things that we need to look at differently or do or something to even get in the right headspace to start figuring out how to get that monthly recurring from clients yeah. instead of just the one-time tickets. Yeah. So I think the first thing we need to talk about is why you would want to do that. I think I have lots of ideas of how you can do it, but I think let's just make sure we're clear on mm-hmm. why. The, the number one reason I believe you want recurring revenue is it, it juices the value of your company. Mm-hmm. So let me give you a very specific example. If you look at alarm companies installing yeah. alarm systems. I'm from that industry actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know that you have installation revenue and you've got monitoring revenue, Mm -hmm. right? The installation revenue is worth about 75 cents on the dollar to an acquirer. The monitoring revenue is worth roughly $3 for every dollar Mm -hmm. of revenue you have. Said another way, the recurring revenue is worth like four times. So if you've got, you know, if you're sitting there saying, uh, I want to build the value of my company, you know, if you're, if you're on the back of just transactional work, you'd have to build it four times the size to make it as valuable as a company with, uh, with recurring revenues. So, yeah. so that's number one. Number two, it makes it way more predictable. So the thing that a lot of, I think, service companies really struggle with is the ebbs and flows of demand, right? Seasonality. Mm-hmm. And yep. you've got all of the, the issues around, around demand, which start to even out when you've got service contracts in place, when you know how many trucks you're going to need on the road, right? So you don't have a bunch of folks sitting around waiting for a job or, you know, inundated with too many jobs because you you haven't guessed right. And so I think that's another reason. And then the third reason is what we call the Trojan horse effect, which 
I learned about through a guy named Jim Vagonis. Jim built a company called Hassle-Free Homes. Have you ever seen Hassle-Free Homes? No, I haven't, but that's a great name. Yeah, it's a cool name. So basically his, his premise was, look, when you get home at night on a Friday night, you don't want a honeydew list for the weekend. You want to crack a beer and enjoy your house, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And his deal was... I'm going to manage your house for you so that you're, you don't have a honeydew list at the beginning of the weekend, right? So I'm going to change the pool filters for you. I'm going to change the light bulbs. I'm going to fix the fridge door. I'm going to do all this stuff that's going to go wrong. So he went into a, a house when he got a contract and basically specced it out. So he knew what the light bulbs were, knew what the furnace filter model numbers were, et cetera, so that he could preemptively manage that home for that homeowner before anything went broke. And he did it on a subscription basis. So a couple hundred bucks a month and he managed that home for you. So what he taught me was this thing called the Trojan horse effect. And I was like, what, what is that? And he's like, subscription revenue is great, but the hidden benefit is that you also get your customer's credit card on file. You get the permission to email them. You have their cell phone number. They have a relationship with you. They trust you, which makes them more likely to buy other things from you, right? Not just the service that you signed up for. And that's the Trojan horse effect. So those three things I think are the reason that Anyone, doesn't matter, pressure washer, uh, you know, outside washing of the home, uh, you know, cleaning the roof, uh, cleaning the windows, I think you want recurring revenue. Here's the biggest mistake that I see people making in trying to design their recurring revenue model or trying to figure out the recurring mm-hmm. revenue model. And that is trying to be all things to all people, trying to create a recurring revenue model for all types of customers. And in my experience, that's a fool's errand. Let me give you an, exp- let me give you an example outside of uh, the service industry because I think it, it drives home the point, but then we'll, we'll circle back to mm-hmm. the service industry. The example I'm thinking of is, is, a, is a company called H. Bloom. So they're not in a service business. They're in the business of selling flowers. And they got started and looked at this model of selling flowers. And it's a, you think you know, pressure washing or cleaning uh, people's, my gutters is, is, a, is a crappy business. Try selling flowers. <laughs> Try selling flowers. When the flower starts to die the moment the farmer cuts it from yeah. the stem, right? It, it's rotting in your refrigerator a month yeah. later. You throw out in a typical flower store 60% of your inventory. Wow. Um, you think seasonality is a problem in your business? Talk about a flower store. Two days of the year, Mother's Day and Valentine's Day, generate yep. like 30% of all revenue, right? So it's a, it's a crappy business to be in. And these mm-hmm. two guys, Sonia Panda and Brian Burkhart, looked at it and they said, how do we get in the business of selling flowers but doing it on a recurring basis? Like, how do we transform this? And I think it's a lot of what your listeners are trying to figure out right now. They're like, how do I create recurring or contract mm-hmm. revenue? And here's the thing they did. Instead of trying to figure out a subscription model for people who buy flowers, because that there's just too much variety in people who buy flowers, they started to first segment the people who buy flowers. And they discovered that there are people who buy flowers for weddings and funerals and graduations and because they forgot their anniversary and, you know, et cetera. And then they discovered this one little cohort represented about 3% of the overall market that buys flowers on a recurring basis. Hmm. Those are hotels. Why? Because the hotel, when you show up in Atlanta for your conference next month, they're going to have a fresh cut bouquet of flowers on their table. Yep. Why? Because they want to give that impression of being a boutique, nice hotel, right? Mm-hmm. So they need to get those flowers replenished every two weeks. And so hotels are great customers to buy flowers regularly. Mm-hmm. And they designed a subscription for hotels. 
So they came in, dropped off the new flowers, got rid of the old flowers, sent a commercial grade invoice because they're a business, not a customer. And the business now has a lifetime value of an average customer of more than $4,500. Wow. Compare that with the transaction in a typical flower store, about 50 bucks. I was going to say, I was going to guess 60 or $80 or something. Yeah. Yeah, Like one sale. Well, you're more generous than I am. I'm a cheap bastard. (laughs) I don't buy flowers enough. So what I do, I have to go big. (laughs) But look, you think about that for a second, Bobby, because again, a lot of your guys are probably, and gals are probably sitting there saying, what's the, what's the relationship to what I do. Here's the thing. If you have, if you know that you have $4,500 of lifetime value from a customer, it doesn't come all at once, but over the life of their relationship with you, they're going to get $4,500 worth of stuff from you. It changes the dynamics completely, right? You can now hire salespeople. You don't have to do the selling anymore because you can afford to pay them a commission because guess what? You're going to make $4,500 from that customer as opposed to having a flower shop and hoping someone's going to come in. Number one. Number two, you can buy the right amount of trucks and hire the right number of people. Why? Because you know how many contracts you need to fulfill. Mm-hmm. H. Bloom, they throw out less than 3% of their inventory. Hmm. Again, you may be saying, that's crazy. That's like 60% a typical flower store. Yeah, but they don't buy flowers for people who they don't have subscribers. Yeah. For, right. They only buy the number of flowers. So, so that's, I think, the secret. If I was in a window cleaning business or a gutter cleaning business, uh, I'd be segmenting my customers. And you probably have those, those one-off guys and gals, right? Who are getting a home ready for, to be sold, right? Mm-hmm. And they want yeah. to tart it up and make it look perfect, right? Well, that's a one-off customer, not yeah. a great customer for- Yeah, there are least favorite ones for a couple of reasons. One that you're talking about and two, they're usually are way more price conscious. They're cheap, whatever. Yeah. You probably have, and again, this is going to sound hugely sexist and I'll just say it. You probably have uh, some divorced women Mm-hmm. who don't want to get on a ladder and clean their gutters. They don't have a honey, a honey to give the honeydew list to, mm-hmm. and they're more than happy to pay a premium for someone to take that off their task list. That's a hugely sexist thing to say, but I'm sure there are men that would feel exactly the yeah. same way. But, but let's be honest, a lot of uh, women don't want to get on a ladder and clean mm-hmm. out gutters, right? Yeah. Not a lot of guys want to. You probably have a lot of, uh, of affluent couples, right? Who, mm-hmm. who, who uh, would be only too happy to outsource this, whatever. I'm, I'm just making these segments up and riffing with you, Bobby. But yeah. Yeah. The point is the, the, and the trick is to not try to create your recurring revenue model for everybody instead to first segment down and, and remember your channel. So for a lot of trades, they think of their customer as their end, for example, homeowner, but actually their actual customer is a GC, is a general contractor who brings them in on a job. So there you might be saying, well, the homeowner only brings me in every five years for an exterior you know, wash or whatever. Who is that, that needs that on a more regular basis? Is it a condo developer or a condo manager? Is it a, is it a, uh, a uh, you know, guy like Jim Vagonis from Half Hustle Homes who's managing a bunch of homes and needs somebody to go in on a regular cadence? You're looking for someone who has a need for your service or product on a reasonably regular occurrence. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people underestimate, you know, they think, oh, well, well, customers want to sign a contract. Like you gave the example of like, even in Orlando, you only need your, your, your asphalt done once or your driveway done once a year. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. For a lot of customers, they would rather know that I'm going to see Bobby in the third week of May every year. And he's going to come do the driveway for me. They would rather have that 
taken off their mental energy list, that task off to remember to call Bobby every year to do, they would rather do that than, than, than have to remember to get the flyer, et cetera. And all of a sudden, when you're assuming your customer is going to call you every year because they need it, now you're, you're basically commoditizing yourself because everyone's going to have a flyer in that guy's mailbox saying, hey, have you looked at your driveway lately? Why don't you get it? And now you're competing with other guys, right? Whereas if you have a service contract that says, hey, let's just, let's just, let's just do, and you could cancel it anytime you want, mm-hmm. but just know that every third week of May, I'll be here to do this for you. Yeah. And we'll just send you, that is better for the customer mentally. Mm-hmm. And, and it's way better for your company, <laughs> for yeah. the value of your company for, for all. So you got me on my high horse, Bobby, but that's, uh, those are a couple of thoughts. So do you mind if I bounce one off of you just to yeah, kinda, sure. and I know there's some, like I said, I have not read the automatic customer yet, but uh, I know to one degree or another, some of this is in there, but, and I know that because of my buddy, Michael Kaplan, who's like the super, your super fan, you know, and <laughs> thanks, um, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's going to love that cap. You owe me, man. You owe me. Um, the, uh, now one thing he was, uh, asking me about and or talking to me about, and he's like, ask John about this. I'm curious if John thinks this is a bad idea, a good idea, what have you. But, you know, he's thinking like, um, kind of like an Amazon prime, you know, type of thing with a business like ours where, you know, essentially, you know, they get on like, a you know, well, for the sake of the audience, I'm not going to do this for the sake of you, but you know, so with prime, you're really not paying for anything or, or what you are paying for is shipping and you're just paying for it in advance. You technically, you don't really get much for prime after that. Now today they have prime video and they've added some stuff, but back when it originally launched, people were still getting it and those things weren't there. So you pay for your prime and then essentially you paid them for the privilege of buying their stuff. You know, and maybe you can get faster shipping, but you really aren't getting cheaper shipping because it's free, but that price is marked up where you can go buy from someone else that's less. And then you just, they add the shipping into it. So the concept um, to try to kind of, um, you know, to potentially try to emulate that, you know, in, in our industry would be, you know, you, you create your inner circle club, whatever you want to call it. You know, if my company's name is TRT, it could be the TRT inner circle or the whatever the heck it is. And, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you know, you, you're, you know, the target would probably be these higher end homes, the $600,000 up to some $12 million homes, you know, probably in that range. That's a big range, but you get my point. See, Bobby, that's a big range, man. <laughs> most, most of them are probably between the 600,000 and one and a half million. And, um, the um but you know you say hey for six bucks a month eight bucks a month something like that you know you're in that quote-unquote inner circle and with that you know what you're going to get maybe there'd be like a value give in there you know like you get a small you know you get a little driveway cleaned or something like that or uh or you get a driveway cleaned at a discounted rate and what it was was they basically prepaid you know the difference you know on on that thing but then they get perks like i've written some ideas up here but like uh, what would be valuable for me was to be able to get a salesperson at their house once a year. So it's like, Hey, we're going to come out once a year. Cause we're, you know, you give us the green light We're you go have fun. We're going to take care of everything else. We're going to come out, do an inspection on your home, give you a report of everything that, that may need to be done and when it may need to be done. Um, anyone in the inner circle gets a, a discount on, you know, um, services that they offer. Maybe it's a 5% discount or whatever. And, and I'll just raise all my prices by 5%. And then, uh, everyone in the inner circle gets priority scheduling. So even if it's the busy season, if you need something done, um, 
you get to go to the front of the line, but I'll have to define and fine print what front of the line is, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and we're going to give you special coupons once a quarter, and, you know, just some things like that, you know, people that are in the club, uh, get something like that. Um, you won't hurt my feelings on this. Um, I honestly, I'd prefer you to say that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard if you thought it were, <laughs> but, um, is something like that, like in the realm of, um, uh, plausibility of working in an industry like ours or, yeah, again, I think I think the first step is to is to segment your customers down. So I was joking 600,000 to 12 million, yeah. <laughs> but I do think that's a worthwhile conversation to have and say, let's go deeper on on the types of customers. So mm-hmm. there's a big difference between a $600,000 home and a 12 million dollar home in terms of the psychographics and the demographics yeah. of people who own those homes, right? So, you know, if I had a a one car driveway am I going to be part of the inner circle club? Uh, maybe not. Like Probably I think not, that's, yeah. you know, but if I had a 16 car driveway mm-hmm. and I had a bunch of exotic cars, then I might have different demands on like, like what I want my driveway to look like and mm-hmm. and, and the sort of how fastidious I am about that. So again, I know nothing about driveways. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm applying what I know about subscription models to your industry, which is always dangerous. But the idea being, first to segment. My reaction to the, the inner circle club was, first of all, I, I find the name is a bit B2B. Like it, it re, for me, it sounds too business to business, like yeah. it's as opposed to a, a business to consumer offering where uh, like inner circle feels like it's special insight, some, some unique knowledge. And, and as a consumer, I don't need knowledge, but I might need, you know, for a lot of people, I think their homes are kind of like, a, like they, they just want them to be less of a hassle. Right. Yep. So you know, if I was running an HVAC company and I was trying to sell a subscription to like, I'm going to come in and change out the furnace filters, right. It'd be like, you know, the, uh, the clean, clean 365 program, right. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you, you make sure that you've got clean air 365 days a year and you're in there yep. every three months to share the fil- Like that feels better to me because uh, uh, from a naming perspective, I think the discounts on, on product, again, it feels kind of, a bit nickel and dimey, like to be 5%. So I think, you know, when you think about Netflix compared to cable, like that's the kind of, that's the kind of uh, value proposition I think you're looking for. So like mm-hmm. when you think about cable, you buy for a couple hundred bucks, at least it is where I live, you know, you get 600 channels and you might use three of them, right? Yep. And it's like a crappy business model, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Netflix walks along and says, we've got thousands of hours of content for 10 bucks a month. Yeah. Okay. Where do I sign for that? Yep. Right. Yep. So I've, I've in the book, automatic customer, there's this chapter called 10 X, not 10%. And what I, what I describe in that is that for people to give up freedom, i.e. give you their credit card and say, you just keep billing me once a month, Bobby, it has to be more than 10% off. It has mm-hmm. to feel like a 10 X better value proposition. Okay. That doesn't mean it has to cost you 10 times as much, but I think you have to, you have to make it feel like that. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing I would say to that model is you kind of want to pack in all the value of your subscription offering, not all of it, but a lot of it in the first month. Mm-hmm. And so the reason for that is, is your, is your uh, likelihood to stay a subscriber is going to be directly related to the value you experience in your first month of subscribing. Right, so if you have the the Inner Circle Club and uh, you know sign up today and immediately you get five percent off anything we sell, and then and the next year we'll be back to redo your your driveway. 
I'm like, ah, you know what? Just call me next year. I'll, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if you can pack a ton of value in their first month, it's like, really, you're going to do all that for me. And it's only going to cost me 50 bucks a month. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. amazing. So I'll give you the, an example from the car wash industry, um, which as you probably know, Bobby is, is, you know, in the old days, it was all about your location, mm-hmm. right? You get a tank, gas, get a car wash. These days, they're all in the transformation to subscription-based models yep. where you can basically get your car washed as many times as you want in a month. Yeah. And I gave a speech uh, a while ago at the International Car Wash Association, and I was like convincing these guys to move to subscription model. And one guy put up his hand and said, yeah, but it costs us a dollar every time someone goes through a car wash, like in terms of hot water and soap and whatever. Yeah. And like if, if we give it to them for free, they might come like every day. And if it's 30 bucks a month and they come 30 times, that's 30 bucks in just hot water and mm-hmm. soap. And I'm like, you're missing the point. First of all, if anybody has that little to do with their day, then that, <laughs> that person's in trouble. <laughs> Most of us have better things to do than just wash our cars, right? Mm-hmm. But you actually want them to wash your car 30 times in a single month because eventually that is going to make them feel like they're getting so much value out of that subscription that they're going to stay for years. Yeah. And as soon as the honeymoon effect of being able to do it every day wears off, guess what? You're only going in once or twice a month, but you're getting that 30, 40 bucks a month every month for years into the future. Yeah. And so I would just encourage you to think about like, how do I stuff a ton of value into the first month? and and make them feel like the subscription is incredible that actually that makes perfect sense to me that uh i just got done reading a book uh chris voss um oh sure split yeah. The difference. yeah never and, split the uh, difference great book yeah and one of the things he talks about that you know i i guess i never really thought of and and i don't want to get too deep into this but uh he talks about how the decisions that people make you know there's two things that your two modes that your mind work in to make a decision uh, one mode is active, you know, you're, you're in control of it and it's your logical thought process, you know, kind of way of, of working. And then the other one's passive. It's your instincts. It's like breathing, you know, you, you can kind of control it, but only for a short period of time. Then it goes back on autopilot, which is your emotions, you know, so mode one's your emotions. Mode two is your, your intellect, your logic. And that we think that our intellect and logic is what makes all of our decisions. But the truth is, even though it does make them, it's heavily, heavily, heavily impacted by mode one on the emotions. Now, I'm not saying that to teach you a lesson, but after reading that just two weeks ago, um, and then you're saying this, I'm thinking that makes perfect sense because, you know, they already made this, the decision to do it. But as far as the decision, you know, do I keep it? Do I not keep it or whatever? Uh, they're going to remember how they felt about the thing. You know, in, in month one, if they had this great experience with it, you know, even if in month four, they're like, oh, I'm not you. It's kind of like me and Disney World tickets, you know, because Disney World 10 minutes over here. It's like we went 100 times in the first two months. Well, we don't go as much <laughs> anymore, but sure. I know I can go 100 times this month and I, if I want. And I can feel that way again if I wanted. So that makes perfect sense. I don't know if I explained that well, but I guess the point being that I'm trying to make is I think that's an attack in a good way, an attack on their emotions to keep them around, you know, long-term because the, the, the value is the value and whether you split it up all equally or front loaded or back loaded, but the emotional impact of being front loaded like that, I can see how that can make that huge, huge difference on the success there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, 
yeah so there you go folks i figured it all out for you that you just, you just do that so chris uh, sorry i don't know why i just called you chris uh, chris, chris, chris boss, boss is the author of never <laughs> yeah, the difference i think that's, that's why i said that uh, john um i'm actually i've really enjoyed this but i i, I don't know if you're up at the hard stop but if we are at the top of the hour I want to talk about the art of selling your business um, as much as we can get into that. So let me just shut up real quick. Talk to us about the book, The Art of Selling Your Business. Yeah, it was inspired by a podcast I do called Built to Sell Radio, which is just interviewing a different entrepreneur every week about their exit. So we specifically mm-hmm. talk about like the tips and tricks to exiting a company, selling a company and, and the do's and don'ts and the, and the do-overs and the mulligans. And I've done 300 interviews now. And what, I, what I've learned is that they're, most people, when they sell their business, they get kind of an industry average multiple, right? Mm-hmm. Yet there is a subset of owners that seem to punch well above their weight when it comes to selling. They get disproportionately high multiples. They get on the top end of what you know, businesses in their industry trade for. They get multiples of revenue as opposed to multiples of profit. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was really wanted to kind of sit down and understand what is the negotiation approach they take and how is it different than the average most people when they sell their business they're like yeah yeah i'll do that when i'm retired you know mm-hmm. or you know when i when i'm ready to sell i'll list my business and and i'll sell it like a house right and what i've come to learn through all these interviews is that that the the savvy entrepreneur takes a very different approach to the way they sell their company and that's what i tried to decode, I think, for the reader as to what some of these the smartest entrepreneurs that I've had a chance to interview do differently when it comes to the final chapter of their business, the, you know, the sale of their company. Great. That's good stuff. Now, when's the book available? Because I know it's it actually it, came out in January. So it is actually oh, available. What the yeah, heck yeah. am I talking about? I could have sworn. Well, now no, I feel no, silly. I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> I, I didn't want to correct you earlier, but yeah, it's, it's out and live and uh, it's, it's getting a great reaction. Oh gosh. Me. Now I feel silly for waiting to the end. I, I don't know why I had that in my head. I thought you're right. Was, you're reading Chris yet. Voss's book. Yeah, I can't even get you to read my book. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, well, uh, John, let me ask you this. If the, if my audience wants to learn more about you or, you know, get your books or I'm sure they can go. Well, I know for a fact they can go to Audible or to Amazon because I've done that. But, sure. but where do they yeah. go to learn more about you and, and get your books and stuff like that? We've actually put together a, a URL just for your audience. So if you go to builttosell.com slash journey. Oh, cool. And you can get a bunch of freebies. So we've got uh, an eight part video series on the drivers of company value. We put together a the nine uh, the subscription model checklist it includes nine different subscription models and you can check through which ones might apply to your industry which is kind of fun okay and then um the art of selling your business is a book you can get on amazon or whatever audible whatever but then we've got a workbook which is designed to be used in companion with the actual physical book where there's a bunch of questions that you can ask and answer uh which helps you kind of think through how do you apply the lessons in the book to your own business all that's free so you just go to built to sell.com slash journey wow that's cool i didn't know that that's that's exciting yeah. thank you for uh thank you for letting me letting us be a part of that so yeah um, my pleasure so listen, before we go, do you have that 
I, I was going to try to tell a joke. I'm not going to do that. I was going to say, do you have the, the secret to life you can share with everybody? I have one big question for you, and then I'll give Here. you the, the final platform and, and any messages or anything you want to share. But, but this is just something that we do on the show here. So imagine if you will, you're, you know, you're like out in the middle of the field out by yourself. No one's around. It's just you and nature and, you know, just God's splendor, right? And then you just hear this big voice out of the sky and it says, choose your opponent. You're going to have a fight to the death and your opponent can either be one horse sized duck or a thousand duck sized horses. Just you, just them, no weapons, arms, fists, you know, that's it. Who, who are you going to take? <laughs> Do that one more time. On one end, I've got a thousand. <laughs> so, so imagine a thousand duck-sized horses. So horses yeah. like the size of a chihuahua, you know, a little duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, okay. or one duck the size of a horse, like a basically a dragon, you know, <laughs> a horse-sized duck. That is a weird question, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I'll take the little ones. I'll take the thousand little ones. I knew yeah. I liked you. See, <laughs> you know what? Almost nobody picks the little ones, but I was. Oh, is that right? Little. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm the little duck guy because I'm like I can just step on them. I don't got to worry. Yeah, about I can take them, but I'm not yeah. sure I can take a duck size worse. Exactly. Or a well, duck. <laughs> I like a smart guy like you, um, John. Any any parting thoughts or comments or anything you want to share with the audience? No, I mean, look, I think it's been, it, it's been fun. And, and we started off talking about the difference between profit and value. And I, I think that's, if I could leave with your audience, one idea, I'm sure you've got a lot of, a lot of parents listening to this, a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of moms and dads that are parents. And I think, I think your role as a parent is a really nice analogy for your role as a business owner. You know, as parents, mm-hmm we start off where the, you know, the, the kid needs everything, right? Like changes diapers, whatever, put it to sleep, feed it, et cetera. And then as it becomes adolescent, the goal is, is really to get that teenager to start kind of stepping up and taking on life on their own terms and sort of becoming an independent adult. And for a lot of people listening to this, I think we'd be better served thinking of our role instead of the CEO of our, you know, whatever gutter cleaning business, mm-hmm. think of it as the parent of this business. And that ultimately the goal should be to get that thing running so that it can be an independent thriving company without you having to do all the work. And if, if you're successful in being a parent to your business, as opposed to the CEO of your business, I think it gives you all of the freedom, right? Like you could sell it if you want, cause it can thrive without you. You could, you know, work 20 hours a week because it can thrive without you. You could bring in an investor or a general manager. You know, there's just lots of cards you can play if it's not dependent on you. And I think as parents, we've all done it. And so I think it's a good analogy just to think about instead of chasing the next dollar, the next, you know, yeah. tranche of revenue, the next profit, I think actually, no, I, I want to be a parent to my business and, and get it to thrive without me. And that's a, that's just a different way to think about, about running yeah. a company. I love that. That's actually an excellent, excellent analogy. And then also uh, uh, your podcast, uh, the built to sell, is it the built to sell yeah, podcast? Built to sell radio. Yeah. Our built to sell radio. So guys, yep. make sure you go check that out. I'm sure it's available on iTunes and everywhere else yep. that podcasts are, are hosted. And uh, guys, uh, well, first off, John, thank you a million. Please hang out just for a second. I want to 
grab you for 30 seconds if at least uh before we get off yeah here, but, for sure but thank you so much for joining uh joining the show uh you've been a phenomenal guest and and i'm very very grateful for it and uh, i'm positive that when this goes live that you've that you've made a huge impact on on my listeners just just even the first 15 minutes i think was just really really solid wow, that's, and that's uh, good of you to say yeah so thank you so much and listeners don't forget about the huge convention next month. It's going to be awesome. But just remember this. If you're not doing the things that you want to do in life, you better have a damn good reason for it. But if you're not pursuing those things, there's no good reason for it. Peace.